This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. Iron Source are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Hello, everybody. I'm here today with Damien Yivre, who is lead game designer at Ubisoft Paris Mobile and lead on the latest entry in the auto chess genre, Might and Magic Chess Royale. Welcome, Damien. Uh, hello, Joseph. <laughs> nice it's great to, to have you, you on with us. <laughs> And, you know, it's been a while since we met back in Beijing when we were both at Fun Plus. Yeah, but really glad to see you're now at Ubisoft and working on a very interesting project. So just to kick things off, maybe can you talk to us a little bit about your role at Ubisoft and the auto chess game you have recently launched? Yeah, sure. So in a nutshell, I'm the, uh, as you said, the lead designer on Might and Magic Chess Royale. Um, so it was actually launched in a, in, in a live test, like soft launch in uh, November. Um, and then we did the uh, the worldwide release at the end of uh, January. We had uh, like some significant uh, updates uh, since then. So basically Chess Royale, uh, Might and Magic Chess Royale is uh, uh, three things. Uh, the first one is the Might and Magic brand. Uh, for us, it was important to, uh, to try to re revive this brand because uh, uh, it's a very good one. Like everyone is, is in the team. Uh, really like this brand, and on top of that, it's two major uh, tweaks for the uh, auto battler genre. The first one is um, we made it for mobile first. So what was very clear since the beginning was that it had to be extremely uh, fast, like much faster than any uh, uh, auto battler in the market at the moment. Uh, so it's in average ten minutes uh, when you do a, a top one is uh, more around the fifteen, but in average it's uh, around ten minutes, so extremely fast compared to our competitors, which are like 40, 50 minutes. And the second thing, the, the second major tweak, tweak is the uh, 100 players. So you don't fight against uh, seven other players. It's actually a pool of 100 players, and you have to be the top one, like in a battle royale. Great. And just to get to dig a little bit deeper in terms of your kind of journey and how you wound up at Ubisoft, just to take a little bit of a step back, uh, could you talk to us about that journey as a game designer to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, so actually, everything started in the uh, nine years ago. I started directly in the in the mobile market. Um, I never did like HD or AAA games. It was um, social game uh, since the beginning. Actually, back back then, it was not mobile games. It was mostly on Facebook. But uh, most of the people on Facebook were uh, like quickly moved to iOS and mobile in general. And uh, so I started in digital chocolate, where uh, I mostly significantly uh, worked on the, um, Galaxy Life, who was a kind of uh, clash of clans, but a bit earlier. Uh, then I moved to uh, Wuga, where I worked on an amazing project, which was called uh, Purse Pro, which is still live and uh, performing super well. Amazing project, like a extremely healthy, amazing team. 
amazing company as, as well. Wuga is uh, super, super nice with a lot of talented people. So then after Wuga, um, we met in, uh, in Beijing at Fun Plus. Uh, okay. I didn't stay for a long time, only a year, because China was uh, like uh, China, extremely interesting, but uh, very uh, intense uh, yeah. as a personal experience. And I also wanted to, uh, to get back in Europe. So um, so then I moved back to Barcelona, which was um, actually with the, the former colleagues from Digital Chocolates. So I made a, a kind of loop. So it was in uh, Omnidron where we worked on, um, so the most significant project was Titan Roll, which was a, a MOBA, like a, a light MOBA. Uh, I stayed there for two years and uh, then I just joined Ubisoft uh, something like two years ago, almost two years ago. Okay. Uh, I think I mostly came for the amazing IPs they have. Um, also, they uh, they of course resonate to me because it's uh, it's uh, French IP. So you know I know them super well. Ubisoft is in my mind since I'm a kid. Like I think any uh, French designer. So I mostly came for the uh, for the IPs and also super super cool feeling with uh, all the people in the studio. So Damien, speaking about Ubisoft and about some of the IPs that Ubisoft has, when I think about Ubisoft, at least on the console side, I think of shooter titles like Division 2, mm -hmm. Ghost Recon, then games like Watch Dogs, Assassin's Creed, For Honor, games like that. So definitely a really solid lineup on that side. And then on the mobile side, I feel like there's been a lot of titles, but really the ones that come to mind, at least for me, are Hungry Shark, Grotopia, because at the time it was so unique, mm -hmm. South Park. Then there was the news about the acquisition of Green Panda on the hyper-casual side. And I actually got a chance to meet Shreyas from Green Panda during the Iron Source Game Fest conference. But could you tell us more about that side, the mobile portfolio in terms of like investment, and general strategy that Ubi has for mobile kind of moving into the future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so actually, I, I don't think I'm the good person to talk about uh, strategy in general, uh, just okay. because uh, it's not my area of expertise, and and we prefer okay. to um, to have these topics to be held, but by the uh, people in the editor and so on. But the only thing I can tell is that uh, Ubisoft in AAA or in mobile is um, mostly meant to uh, have games for a very wide wide range of uh, of people and genres. And uh, I mean, yeah, that's that's the only. Uh, Real strategy, I can uh, tell you about, but that that can be a very interesting uh, uh, topic podcast to do with uh, some people who are who are a bit more uh, uh, into these uh, these topics. Yeah. No, no worries. Can you talk more about, let's say, the mobile development side in terms of, mm -hmm. let's say, number of studios or team sizes or things like that? Yeah, I hope I will not uh, forget any. But um, Ubisoft <laughs> has studios. Um, in the most parts of the world. So uh, there are studios in uh, Shanghai, there are studios in uh, Abu Dhabi, some small studios in, um, in San Francisco, of course, lots of studio in, uh, uh, in France, uh, Paris, Montpellier, and so on. Some big studios as well in, uh, in Canada. Uh, and of course, like uh, for two future games of uh, London, which are, are working uh, on the Hungry Shark, as, as you said. So uh, it's, I would say around uh, 10 studios. I don't, know the workforce in mind. I don't have this in mind, but uh, yeah, it's around 10 studios all around the world. Oh, great. Yeah, that's that sounds pretty pretty ambitious with the whole yeah. sort of global network there. Yeah. So moving back to, let's say, the, the game, it'd be great to talk more about Might and Magic Chess Royale. And for me, mm -hmm. one of the most 
interesting aspects of games is always like the origin story. So maybe we can start there. Where did the idea come from to, to actually work on this kind of game with this kind of combination? And how did the project get off the ground at Ubisoft? So actually everything happened pretty, um, pretty naturally. So on one side, the, um, like, so the organization uh, in Ubisoft is you have a, a big HQ team who is um, like a, a very, uh, uh, like like managing different uh, all the portfolio, okay, and there are the all the production teams, like uh, pretty classic. And then uh, what happened basically was that in uh, so the mods uh, in Dota 2 came out in um, 19th of January, I think, or 2nd of January, around these those lines in 2019. At this one, I think the week after, uh, everyone in the in the team we had at the moment was playing the game. And what we uh, realized was that actually uh, a lot of people in the uh, HQ was also playing uh, playing the mod. So everyone was actually looking at this and uh, and saying, "Oh my! Like this, there is something cool. There is something nice in this uh, in this project." And basically, what happened was uh, on one side uh, we were in between projects, and on the other side uh, the the HQ was also uh, really looking at this genre. So basically, back then nothing was uh, really sure like uh, will this genre become extremely big um, th th this is this we uh, we never knew because uh, it was just the beginning of a genre but what we agreed with the HQ was that at least there was something that we could try so uh, maybe it's gonna be big maybe it's gonna fail but at least uh, we'll give it a shot uh, and that's how we um, uh, we all align to say, Okay, let's try something uh, as quick as possible. Let's try to uh, to make it happen. If it fails, uh, too bad, but at least we'll give it a shot. Um, so, the, so everything was pretty uh, pretty natural actually, compared to other uh, projects, also in other companies where you have a lot of gating process. Uh, for us, we since everybody uh, knew the uh, knew the genre, knew the game, uh, everything was natural. Got it. And so you had a lot of people within the company and there who like the game, who like playing the game, but was there any specific opportunity that you saw in terms of like a plus one or any specific mm. sort of change that you thought you could bring to the genre? Yeah, so what was very clear at the beginning was that we wanted to be mobile first. And by being mobile first, the, uh, the first thing we had to tackle was to make the, uh, the game much shorter. Um, actually, that was okay. the biggest challenge because also back then, we, uh, we didn't know if we could make it happen because when you have something 40 minutes uh, to make it shorter, it's also uh, it's it's a great challenge. Like many people try, for instance, in the in the in the mobile genre, many people try to make it uh, to make mobiles much shorter, but so far only uh, really Tencent managed to do this. So uh, back then it was one challenge uh, that actually we overcame uh, pretty quickly. It was pretty uh, pretty fast. But uh, uh, yeah, it was mobile first, like uh, 10 minutes was the, the very first thing that uh, came to our mind. Got it. Uh, and so you had folks at the studio that liked this, this new genre. Mm -hmm. You had folks at HQ that liked it. So can you tell us a little bit about how the green light process works at Ubisoft or how it worked for you? What was mm -hmm. sort of management's reactions or HQ's reaction to this? And how did that kind of play out in terms of getting everything mm -hmm. moving? Yeah, so I can tell for the uh, for the other teams and other studios. Like uh, every project is very different. Um, okay. Some projects are more ambitious. Uh, some projects are meant to be uh, uh, 
uh, faster, and we're mo mostly on the on the fast track. So what we, as I said, what we wanted to do was minimize the risk while uh, while we saw a, a great potential. So minimizing the the risk was also meaning uh, we had to be much faster in the production process, and that meant also in the green light process we had to be a bit uh, like faster and and try to not have lots of processes you know like in most of the companies you have uh, very clear gating processes and uh, that's most of the case at ubisoft but for us since we wanted to be that fast we had to uh, to a bit bypass this this process and be uh, as fast and smooth uh, as possible so the team could focus on uh, just uh, making the game as fast as possible and by the way i think you guys did an excellent job from a production perspective and i personally really enjoy the game but i think the big question on everyone's mind that's sort of from a PM and sort of exec perspective is, has to do with the current competitive landscape and what Might & Magic is, is bringing to the table. And you kind of alluded to some of the differences, but can you dive a little bit deeper in terms of the big differences in terms of the game design choices you made relative to the other auto chess games in the, in the market? Yeah, yeah. First, you're right, because the, to say that it's very competitive, uh, it's really big companies and big, um, big projects and big brands in front of us. So it's definitely extremely challenging. But so far, I think we nailed something with a 10 minutes thing. On mobile, I think it's it's crucial. We saw it on, on many uh, on many games. It has to be extremely fast. And uh, I think that's really the main thing that makes us very different from any other uh, competitor. It's extremely fast. And most importantly, it's meant to be very fast since the beginning. You know, it's not uh, cutting half of the experience. Right from the beginning, we knew it had to be 10 minutes, but it was not like cutting the ends or uh, cutting the beginning or make things artificially faster. We wanted to have exactly the same experience, uh, but more concentrated in a way. So having these 10 minutes, I think on mobile, it's it's the, the number one thing, which is um, the more powerful, at least on our side. Also, beside this, we have uh, the fact that it's 100 players and um, actually, it sounds like uh, just a marketing thing at the, at first, but actually, it makes uh, everything very, very different. We used to have the game as uh, uh, ten players, and then we just tried, just for fun, we tried to have a hundred players just to to uh, test, and it really blew up. Like uh, the fun, all the excitement, it it uh, became really, really different. You know, it was not just the HP bar going down and so on. It was about being the the last one. You know, this very uh, battle royale feeling. Uh, so these two things, I think they make a very, very big difference for uh, from our competitors. You know, you mentioned that one of the, the, the biggest uh, innovations was taking that 40 minutes to 10 minutes. Mm. And so for some of the folks in the audience who haven't had a chance to play the game, and, you know, for those who just want a little bit more insight from a gameplay perspective, how did you do this? What, what did mm. you do specifically to take that 40 down to 10? Actually, it, it's... It's not one thing in particular. Okay. I think it's um, the combination of many, many, uh, many, many tweaks. Um, so one thing you have, uh, you need to have in mind is that uh, everything we do in production is very uh, data-driven. And when I say data, I mean uh, like actual data of the game, which means that extremely uh, quickly we can iterate on many, many rules. So all the UI, all the uh, all the systems will adapt to uh, to this new data, which means that uh, we we can uh, really test a lot. So what we could what we could do was changing the uh, the amount of units, changing your HP, changing the amount of players, uh, changing the um, 
the, the DPS of units. So we could make all these uh, very, very small changes extremely fast. And what really helped us as well was that the whole team wasn't born. So the whole team exactly understood what we were going and why we're, what, why we're doing uh, things. So that could help us to have feedback loop like very, very quickly. Uh, for instance, uh, like very one thing in particular, for instance, we could tweak the goals extremely quickly. And uh, we could do this because, uh, okay, we're data driven, but also because all the team wasn't born. So I could get the feedback extremely uh, uh, in, a, in a very uh, fast iteration process. Um, and all these things together, we could try them because it was data driven. We could try them because uh, we could get the feedback very quickly. And uh, that made us like uh, progress extremely fast. But uh, yeah, to answer you are your your question, it's it's a mix of many things. Uh, we have less units. Yeah. Uh, the the gold is um, uh, we have less gold management. We have uh, shorter uh, fights. We have only three HP against the hundreds. So it's a mix of all these things together. After the break, more with Damien on competition monetization in the future of auto chess games. That's coming up after the break. Welcome back to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Auto Chess really sort of burst onto the scene and, and, and mm. grew really quickly, both as a mod to Dota 2, and then especially once these other companies started building the, the, the game like Riot launching Teamfight Tactics. What do you think it is about Auto Chess that players love so much? Why, do they, why, why does everyone love this genre so much? Well, I think... Auto chess is is working on one uh, thing which is very powerful, which is basically draft mode. You can see also a lot of different um, games like this. I I have uh, Slay the Spire in mind, for instance, or um, some modes in Hearthstone. Uh, this draft mode is is kind of trendy. But I think it's also because uh, on top of that, Auto Chess does one thing which is uh, very smart, which is uh, you have all these drafts, so you have to adapt. Your strategy, uh, which also means that it makes the uh, the gameplay very replayable because one game is always different. And on top of this, you uh, also kind of uh, control the uh, the randomness of the game. You know, with the pool of uh, units, you have some um, uh, some choices to make. And so it's not only uh, randomness, but it's about mastering the randomness basically. Uh, so all this draft mode, I think it's it's. Um, a uh, concept or at least a, a pattern in game design, which is extremely powerful these days because it's very replayable, very re replayable. And, uh, you know, it brings all this excitement of randomness and all with the tier two, tier three, it, it just blows up with, uh, with the auto chess, I think. So Damien, given the competitive nature of this auto chess, auto battler type of genre, what do you think it's going to take to unseat the current players in the market? <laughs> Uh, tough question. Uh, I'm not. I'm not uh, into this kind of thing. It's. It's mostly uh, Eric. Uh, I think Eric could answer this. I. I can't because I'm so much into this genre that I don't know. But I think at least with the fact that it's ten minutes and uh, the fact that it's a uh, hundred players, I think at least we we uh, we give it a good a good shot. But to know how to um, uh, to unseat TFT or Underlords, I have no idea. Okay. And what do you think about some of those key competitors in the marketplace? Do you, is there mm. a favorite or if, uh, do you have any specific thoughts on any of those guys? Actually, I, I think all of them are uh, have something very, very uh, 
uh, unique. For instance, TFT, they have pretty uh, very good idea. So they have a, uh, an amazing brand that they uh, they capitalize on it. The brand is amazing, and um, and they also have some pretty cool features like uh, like the carousel. The uh, I'm very excited about the galaxies as well. So they de definitely have some very cool ideas. Uh, Underworld has. Uh, Amazing UX. Uh, they also have a pretty good, uh, pretty good IP. The introduction of the uh, the Android is also very interesting. The the last update they made is um, is uh, quite impressive. Um, and then on on mobile uh, only, uh, AutoChess Origins is doing a lot of good thing in UX. Uh, they have very good ideas as well in the meta. Lots of customization. So, like, which one is my favorite? It would be hard uh, to pick because they uh, they all have very um, uh, very different ideas, which are all very uh, very interesting. So I couldn't find one, but they definitely have all their uh, their their uh, uh, cool things like to compete. And speaking of the current market leader, Riot with TFT, hmm. I think they announced that mobile launches this month. Any any yeah. forecasts or any any thoughts on on, on the mobile? Yeah. Well, I I think they're gonna fail, of course. But uh, <laughs> but given the brand, given the brand, I uh, it it's, will probably. Uh, I, I'm very interest, interested to see that to see what they will do because when I look at triads for all these these years, I was waiting and expecting them to do uh, something on mobile. So now that they uh, they take the step to do it, I'm very interested to see uh, how it's gonna work. I have no idea because I'm really not into uh, uh, forecasting. That's not my thing, but. Uh, I'm really looking forward because there there is this huge market, and I think in China, for instance, they have a huge community, and and mobile is very um, very uh, strong in China. So um, I'm I'm really looking forward to see what they do in mobile. But they will probably discover a new uh, really a new market for them. So very interesting to watch. Yeah. And I know you don't like forecasting, but just to push you <laughs> a little bit more on this, in in terms of like longer term in in the future. Who do you think, do you have any thoughts on who wins out or what does it take to win out in the, in the longer term, sort of the long game as this genre mm. sorts of plays out on mobile? Yeah, actually one, one thing to note is that I think this genre by, by nature is very, uh, is pretty niche compared to many other, uh, many other genres. So if we're going to see someone uh, winning the fights, I don't think it will be in the next few weeks or months, it's going to it's gonna take time because uh, it's it's the type of game which will grow and grow and grow over time. But I will not do any forecast because I suck <laughs> at it. But uh, but I don't think we will see this. We will not see the winner in a month or two. I think it will take at least a year to see uh, someone really dominating the markets. If actually someone really uh, really performs really, uh, very well, because as I as I said in the beginning. It's a risky market. We don't know how many players are interested by this. So maybe there will be no winner. No winner. Maybe there will be a one big, but uh, it's still really unsure. I think right. it's it's still very open. Right. And then I, I thought we could talk about the the big question mark from a business perspective that everyone's talking about, which is really about monetization. And it seems like mm. you know many of these games in this auto chess auto battler category aren't making much money, despite the Mm -hmm. popularity and the download volume certainly mm -hmm. so team fight tactics as an example massive player base they just haven't been able to monetize strongly mm -hmm. hearthstone seems to have actually cannibalized its audience so can you True. talk about the monetization strategy or the eventual monetization strategy for might magic chess royale mm -hmm. 
but um, of course, I, I can go into, de into details now. Uh, obviously, okay. actually, we could we could uh, even consider doing a doing an, another another podcast about uh, monetization in uh, in six months or so. Uh, but awesome. uh, but yeah, monetization is a huge challenge, and I think even Riot and Valve didn't know how to answer yet. You can see uh, in terms of monetization, I think no one nailed it yet. Um, yeah, it's it's really hard to uh, to talk about this because I can't say much. But it's it's a very huge challenge. The way we uh, we we uh, we saw this was we knew that we had challenges at least in the gameplay. So. Uh, since we wanted to be fast and we wanted to be very focused, the team is not so great, like uh, so big. So monetization was definitely not the uh, the priority uh, for the first release. So that's why uh, we wanted to first focus on the gameplay, doing something great that the player would like and uh, uh, focus on uh, retention KPIs and then move on to monetization when we have something uh, very stable. Because, uh, because yeah, as you said, it's, it's really a huge topic. It's... Uh, definitely one which is the other uh, trickiest in the general yeah hey, just having the opportunity to talk to someone like you as a lead game designer in this category and i know you don't like predictions but <laughs> if we were to talk about so we, we can avoid the monetization stuff but in terms of maybe other innovations that you might expect to see or other influences that you might expect to see in terms of this genre in the future do you have any thoughts on that mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also hard to um, to talk about this without giving uh, information about our future update. But uh, I think monetization will be the key. Okay. All the uh, what what I saw in the with the, with the competitors that they uh, they had a big fights of uh, cool feature and re-engaging features. Uh, you know, Underworld like pushed so many uh, interesting feature, and uh, same for uh, for um, TFT. But then what, what will make the difference will be monetization. So I think the first who will really nail this will nail the market. Um, it's, not, it's not so much about, about trends. I think we'll keep seeing um, updates about like uh, new units, new contents, uh, some new features like galaxies and so on. But at the end of the day, the one who will win will probably be the one who will really nail how to monetize this genre because that's the main challenge. Got it. And then just maybe more from a broad game design perspective, since you know you are a lead game designer, can you talk to us about maybe any other mobile gaming trends that we should be watching for or, or looking at that you're seeing in the market right now? Last year, I think for me, one uh, really big kind of shift happens was the, um, was yeah, to me, it was mostly uh, one thing, which is uh, Arch Hero. So it's only a game, but to me, it's it's a game that shows uh, a trend. So I don't know if it's a trend. I, I I don't know if they found a market. I don't know. I don't know if they created the markets. But what I saw was that uh, with the uh, where they positioned in the market was very unique, very new, and I think it showed everyone that this market um, existed. Right. To me, and and to me, what is interesting is that it's it can be. Um, it looks like it's the uh, the the uh, the the merge of two kind of people. To me, uh, people interested in Arshiro or uh, games into the like super casual markets can come from uh, being like a hardcore or mid-core player, but willing to have something a bit more uh, simple. I think I was into this kind of uh, like this kind of audience, like playing very mid-core games. And at some point, I I couldn't, I didn't have time. But then I found something which was kind of similar. Uh, to this, and in the other end, I think there are many people who never played like two or three years ago 
who played a lot of uh, hyper casual, but at some point got to be born of the uh, the these very very simple mechanics. So they uh, went to kind of super casual. So to me, this this trend of having uh, super casual games really in between uh, mid corn or uh, uh, even casual and he hyper casual, I think this will be a huge uh, group of players. That's uh, almost for sure to me. Got it. And then maybe just bringing it back to Ubisoft, can you speak to what we can expect from Ubisoft, at least in terms of the, on the mobile side in the future? Uh, not much. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. It, I would love to. I would really love to because there are very exciting things uh, coming out. But yeah, I can. I cannot tell much. <laughs> okay. I would love to. <laughs> okay. And. Finally, just just to wrap up our conversation, do you have any shout outs, announcements, or you know, any, anything you'd like to say to the audience? Uh, first, play uh, uh, Chess Royale because I think it's it's a very uh, very good game, uh, super very well designed, uh, not yeah. super well balanced, but super well designed. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the second thing is we are recruiting uh, lots of people on every area. So uh, if you are interested in interested in working in a very cool projects, very cool IPs, uh, then just uh, uh, go to ubisoft.com and you will see a lot of, uh, of, of opportunities. And then if anyone wanted to reach out to you specifically, are there any future conferences or events or ways in which people can contact you? Uh, I think conferences are a bit compre compromised for the next few months. <laughs> that's true, that's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, nothing planned, uh, planned uh, at the moment. Okay. All right, great. Well, in that case, thank you very much for your time, Damien. Cool. And thank you, I, will, I will also ask you in the future to see if we can follow up on a monetization conversation. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I would love to. I would love to. All the right. thinking behind is very interesting. So, uh, and I will be able to tell a bit more. So it's going to be less frustrating. <laughs> awesome. All right. Cool. Thanks a lot, Damien. Bye. Thank you, Joseph. Bye. Cool.